0: Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows. Make it happen Monday. Hopefully, y'all had a fantastic weekend. I'm super excited for our conversation today because uh, we're gonna, i think—we're gonna get real, real practical on this one for a lot of you out there. Uh, so, I would like to introduce everybody over to Chrissy Beck. Chrissy, say hi to everybody and tell them a little bit. Hey, minute.
1: everybody. This is Becky Beck, I'm from Rhode Island, and a little bit about my background, um, worked as a hazmat chemist all around Boston after college, so drove a truck, had a CDL, you know, moving around, some hazardous waste chemicals, avoiding sorrow Drive. And-
0: can, wait, can I, I, got to pause right there, just, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to interrupt you, but how the fuck did you get into hazmat shit out of college? Like, what was your degree in?
1: Uh, bio and chemistry. Okay. And- 2008 when I graduated, and I mean, there weren't a lot of jobs going oh. at that time for entry level college uh, graduates. So, yeah, that, found that, the company yeah. at a company at a job fair and just went for
0: it. Nice, cool. All right, so I didn't mean really to <laughs> interrupt, but it's like that was no, no,
1: no it's fine.
0: <laughs> well, like mm-hmm. we talked earlier, like my so my wife's an environmental scientist too, exactly. right? Yeah, and really, that's yeah. the same thing she did. Like, she yeah. she worked around, she had hazmat. I mean, and this was before like they really gave a shit about like your health, you know what I mean? Yeah. So she'd be at like contaminated sites, like, you know, with nothing on being like, oh, yeah. what's this?" right? And like, Ugh. so anyways, interesting. <laughs> uh,
1: I burned off part of this eyebrow. I like, <laughs> used needle at a monkey lab in Brown. I had to go to the hospital and get like an anti-HIV shot. Oh, gross.
0: Oh, gross.
1: Like spilled chemicals on myself. Like it was a disaster. <laughs>
0: All right, so you did that for a little while, which which got you. teeth kicked. <laughs> <then, then> what?
1: <laughs> so from from there, I decided maybe that wasn't the best thing for me. Um, I ran away to sea, and I'm self taught chef, um, autodidact. I was able to weasel my way into the yachting community, and that enabled me to travel around the world for six years. I was an international private yacht chef, nice. and pretty incredible. Yeah incredible experience. And, you know, now I work in software sales and I'm here to share my journey, my really rapid journey from a LDR to an ISR in 10 months, which is pretty unheard of at my company. I think it was, I'm the only one to have done it. Yeah. And I want to share this process and hopefully people can get some value out of it. Like I've gotten from this podcast and be able to apply it to their own situation.
0: Awesome. I appreciate that. So let's talk about how that switch from being a yacht chef, right? Yeah. Um, yes. to now going into software sales. Like, what what was that? What was so, that?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I'm bebopping around. I was super successful. Uh, I was having a ton of fun.
0: <laughs> I, I can't imagine. So just for some context here, one of the things that my wife and I, like, so two years ago, we decided to go to Italy, right? And we wanted yeah. to do- the italy trip and because i fly all over the place and have a lot of miles we covered the majority of the trip with miles and points so we went um we went uh uh, rome and then the amalfi coast and then sicily right Right. and the amalfi coast we said you know what fuck it we're gonna do this right so we got a yacht we got like a 50 foot private yacht with with a with a a chef a deck you know and, and And it was me, my wife, my daughter, and our friends. And it was one of the most incredible experiences. And I just kept looking at them being like, this is what you do. I'm like, this is your life. you cruise up and down the Amalfi Coast and just hang out with cool people, I'm like, holy shit. So my question (laughs) for you is, why the fuck did you go from that
1: (laughs) to to software sales? (laughs) (laughs) I get asked that a lot. And to be honest, um, it, it was just time for me like i got to the point and for the first time ever i was getting homesick um my family and i started looking around at some of the other women that were in their late 30s early 40s i mean they had a ton of money they had disposable income they didn't have any expenses and they're dating like gorgeous 23 year old deckhands uh, but it was kind of it was kind of lonely and sad
0: uh, yeah, I, can see that. You
1: know, I just i didn't want that
0: yeah, I could see that so, being a stage of life, not a life, right? Yeah. And
1: yeah. that was always my my take on it. It was very hard to leave because, you know, I, I didn't pay for rent. I didn't pay for toothpaste. I didn't pay for anything. Yeah. So the money that you're generating, which is quite good, mm-hmm. um, is all disposable. You can save it, you can spend it. Um, okay. I've done both. Cool. Yeah, like you always say. You kind of fall into sales. Um, I'd worked in sales and it just seemed like a really good transition for me. I had made a ton of relationships. You know, I got to have breakfast with billionaires and millionaires. I had practiced my communication and I generally really like people and mm-hmm. it seemed like a really good spot to land for me.
0: Right. So how'd you pick the company? So would you start as an LD? Is this, is this a Kronos?
1: Yeah, yeah at Kronos. So I worked for a hot second at a staffing company in Rhode Island. And while I was there, was working to, to get into software sales or like pharmaceutical, um, not pharmaceutical, uh, like joint and uh, surgical like replacements for people. So it's like medical devices or software sales. Yeah. Ended up in software sales. And
0: so, because I always find this interesting um, for kids in their career. Like you you made a conscious choice of I'm doing something better. Now I want to go so, do something different. Yeah. What did you... Like, so software, so those two choices pharmaceutical software, software. But, like, when you were looking for a company to go work for, yeah, um, to transition that passion that you had, right? Because I mean, I think we're both on the same page here. Like, you have, absolutely, to be successful, you have to love what you do. Right, so yeah. just going to get a job anywhere just to get some experience. That's you know some people take that when they make that drastic of a of a career shift. They're like, you know what? I don't give a shit. I'll just go work for anybody who I can who will give me some experience here. Yeah, what was your mentality with like? Did you did you look at Kronos and say this is where I want to build my career, or were you just looking for anybody that would give you a chance in software sales?
1: <sighs> to be honest, I was looking for anybody that would give me a chance. Yeah. I really felt like it was going to be a difficult story to transpose like how am I going to talk about my transferable skills to these people like I hadn't used Outlook in eight or ten years I didn't know what Zoom or Fuse I didn't go to meeting I I didn't use a computer I made messages with my computer and like edited my photos and my videos with my GoPro I didn't know any of this stuff and I was at a severe disadvantage so I was just looking for really anyone to give me a shot Um, I talked to a ton of different companies. I really liked the vibe at Kronos and, you know, it was, it was big time for me. It was like a, a serious job. Um, it was paying more than some of the jobs I saw in Rhode Island. And I thought it was wild. I really liked the managers. Um, but I mean, I was just willing to get my foot in the door. And I told them that I was like, just let me get my foot in the door. You won't be disappointed, but I mean, I need this. I need something to happen. And it wasn't, it wasn't a glamorous job. I mean, I went from being like an executive yacht chef I'm like walking in, no, no limit on my company card, buying thousands of dollars of wine. And, and I spent like $13,000 on meat one time and just rocking and rolling, yeah. not having a boss, you know, doing my own event management planning, working directly with some of these super successful people. Yeah. And, you know, there's no middleman, like we're directly con- conversing. Yeah and forth to go into an LDR making a hundred phone calls and being kind of bottom of the barrel. Like it was a big e- swallow. Like it well, I'm making a third of the money or less. <laughs> you know, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, cause I think that, you know, the beauty of that though is, and this is, this is um, you know, that's why I continue to come back to sales being one of the best professions because you know, and this is where this conversation is going. Like you can start at the bottom and very quickly move your way up if you, if you decide you want to go get it right. As opposed to just going through the motions and saying, all right, you know, I'll spend my two years being an LDR and then I'll get my, you know, my chance for a promotion here. You know, sales is one of those careers that at any stage of your life, I mean, you could be 40, 50 years old for crying out loud. And if you, if you're willing to suck it up and and take some shit for a year or two, you know what I mean? It'll, it'll pay off. So, so what kind of, what was your approach when you came in the door, obviously pretty self-motivated person. Um, what was your, what was your mindset coming in the door? I'm just going to stick my head down and, and do you know work my ass off or I'm going to try to figure things out, uh, and, and play this game.
1: I really had more of the approach of like, I don't, I'm at a disadvantage here. I don't know the industry. I just learned about what SAS even was in 2017. Um, mm-hmm just, I was bobbing around in the South Pacific. I didn't have an awareness. And I was like, I need to immerse myself in this and just put my nose down and try to figure it out along the way and just lean on that newness and just ask for help. So, I mean, when I interviewed with my manager, I was like, look, I want to get my foot in the door. I'm not as interested in this position as I am in the next one. I want you to know that when you hire me, but while I'm here, while my butt's in that seat, I will kill it for you. And just help me
0: that so that's a, that's important right because i think there's what bothers me is as a former hiring manager right mm-hmm. Is the rep who basically looks at, oh, this is, yeah, this is my stepping stone, right? Now, it doesn't bother. I understand it's the stepping stone, but my whole mentality is, look, you got to earn the right to get to that next level. So, like, yes, I appreciate that's where you want to go, but you have to execute at this level better than anybody in order to be able to get there, right? So, yes. so, you were pretty upfront, like, look, I want that, but I'm here to win here. So, tell me tell me what you need me to do there.
1: Exactly. And then I just consistently asked my manager i was like what do i need to be doing while i'm here and i was you know in the beginning i like blew my quota out of the water got like rookie of the year and then i slowly just like started creeping up and i was like number two number two number two number two and then i was number one and stayed there and i used that momentum and every every meeting i had with my manager i was like i want more responsibility i want more of this like what else can i do and because i was operating at a, at a high level and like just refusing to be like number three or number two. Um, and I was being successful in these other projects. I ended up supporting, um, the Australian business development team. So we working a ton of overtime hours, uh, scrubbing data, like getting meetings and doing a ton of outbound stuff. So I had the inbound side, I had the outbound side and I was like doing really well at both. It was controlling. To meetings, I was constantly asking what I could do better, and just like rocking and rolling. And I knew, I knew that it was temporary. Like ten extra hours of overtime is is a joke compared. to no Offense, but it it is to what I was doing as a chef. It's like mm-hmm. hours is like a half day. Mm-hmm. I was just like, this isn't so bad. Just keep going. And I made sure that I stayed super super organized. I spent the last like ten or fifteen minutes of my day every day planning for the next morning. Cause I'm not a morning person. And like I have a list that I can just like drink my coffee and hit, um, while I start to wake up that helped a lot. And, uh, the other thing that helped a lot was I reached out to anyone and everyone that would listen to me at my company. I was like, let me shadow you. Let me sit in on your discovery calls. Let me be a silent observer on your demos. Like, let me be a sponge. You know, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to mess it up. Just let me, let me be there. So I was spending a ton of time doing that on top of, you know, being in that number one or number two spot. And I tracked everything. So when it came time, you know, right before our sales kickoff, when I met with my manager and I'm like, it's been nine months, what am I doing? And I was like, well, I think you could run your own book of business now. She's like, let's talk after sales kickoff. I'm like, all right. And when we started to have those meetings, I had, you know, 30 hours of discoveries and discos with all these different reps from all these different verticals. I had all this extra overtime. I had like measurable, quantifiable data that was like, got to that point because I had been doing those little incrementals over that period of time when I sat down with our sales director and I was like, I wanna apply for this position that you have open. He's like, yeah, great. That's awesome. You know, I don't know if you're ready and i was like well all right um i ran a report and i showed him the territory that was open for the spot i was going in i showed him my plan for how i was going to execute who i was going to target i'm like i already started the job (laughs) and he's like wow you're pretty prepared and i'm like yeah i am like you you want to give this to me and then so I got him on board and then I got pushed back from HR and HR was like, hey, we want butts and seats for 12 months. And it's only been nine. And I was like, well, if you look at my overtime, I've done 12 months of work in nine months. And <laughs> it, it was cool to be able to say that because yeah. it's true and I could show it. Yeah. So it just made it really easy for them to give me the promotion.
0: Ah, There's a lot to unpack there. Right. I mean,
1: yeah, sorry. I rambled on there. Oh, I no,
0: excited. No, no, no. No, it was all great. I mean, it's spot on. I think, you know, the, the themes I hear there, um, you know, the three big ones work your ass off, ask, you know, ask for more than what's being asked of you uh, and then be a scientist. Um, those three themes. Right. Um, I always tell reps, you know, in order to get to that next level, you know, science art. Right. Uh, you know, the artists, the reps, the gist are out there doing their thing, whatever. Okay, fine, but if you can't show me how you've got to where you are, and first of all, you're going to be a terrible manager, right? Because you're never going to be able to replicate that. Um, you know, if you don't have a, an approach to something, you can't then tell anybody else how to do your approach. Um, but also, if you're like, if you're not scientific about your approach, then if and when you do miss your number. As a manager, I have nothing to, I have nothing to go on, you know, I right. mean. ultimately yeah. I'm just going to have to fire you because if I don't know how to coach you on based on where I know you need help, then sorry, That's case right. next. So let's talk about, I'd like to talk about the, um, the asking for, uh, asking for more than what's being asked of you. Right, Because I'm very similar to you in the sense that I was always, anytime I came into a new situation, I would seek out the most successful people in the organization, and I would just want to be a fly on the wall. You know, yeah. I mean, I remember vividly when I, were, when I first started at Basho, I, I had started my company, I had sold off to Staples, so I was really successful there. Now I'm just a little, little trainer at Basho, and I remember Jeff Hoffman, who's my mentor – you know, he was walking around the, the office one day being like, all right, we're going to, you know, brainstorm and, you know, this, thing. and it was, it was a marketing thing. And I, you know, I'm, my background's marketing. Um, so, and I, but I was just curious how they were thinking about marketing. Cause he had brought some pretty heavy hitters in with the funding that he got. So nice. I was like, Hey, I, Jeff, do you mind if I just sat in on that marketing meeting that you're about to have here? And he's like, he kind of looked at me like, why would you want to do that? I go, look I, again, I, I'm just here to learn. I want to hear what you guys are doing. And what you know, so I can translate that to my customers and what the messaging is, but I will literally fly on the wall. He's like, okay. And I used to do informational interviews with executives as well. I'd be like, let me grab te- you know, an hour of your time, I'll take you out to lunch. I, I would prepare and I had very specific questions about you know what I wanted to learn from you based on what your career was. So, was that you know, it sounded like it was obviously a conscious thing, but where did it start? Because, because that there's a fine line there of yeah, I, I appreciate you coming to me asking for all this stuff. But again, Chrissy, do your job first. So, so what was the trend? Like, when did you start? Uh, like, okay, I got to do my job. I got to make those dials and all that other stuff. What were some of the things that you started to do early that, that were a little bit outside of what your responsibilities were?
1: So I think probably this is the discovery calls 1st so what I really did, what, what started on that path was I was doing a new job. I was qualifying leads and I would, whenever I got a good one, I would walk over to the other side of the building. And I would start talk, I would talk to these people and like, is this good? Is this what you want? How can it be better? Um, I was doing that selfishly at that point because I wanted them to convert the leads so I would get paid nice. yep. so through that process. It started building relationships and understanding like how I could make this easier for them to convert faster. Um, so improving my process, like I would do little extras, like I'd send an intro email or I'd send the calendar invite, just get it nice and tied up and like a pretty little bow for the reps. And then be like, this is awesome. I would have like an actual real conversation. I would ask a bunch of questions that I knew were relative, relevant and you know type the notes in i just spent some extra time i just tried to put a little bit of extra effort in but the thing was, was i started getting to a point i'm like i don't know what else to ask so as i had these conversations with the reps i was like well you know what are you asking because at that point it just seemed like this big scary discovery call that people are ha- i'm like what are they saying what is, <laughs> what's happening like what secrets are going on and think yeah. chefs are secret are like these mixed masters like some kind of sorcerer it's it's yeah it's a process. It's a recipe. And I'm like, yeah. recipe. So they were really receptive to it. So I started doing that and that built and I'm like, well, discovery calls are just like, infra- I'm already doing this. What's next? I'm like, let me see a demo. Cause that, that was the next scary thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started really exploring different elements of the company. I'm like, do I want to do the sales? Like this pre-sales thing seems pretty good. These people sit at home and like, Do demos all day, that seems cool. So I reached out to a a woman that I was friendly with, Katrina. She's amazing, she does pre-sales enablement. And I was like, Katrina, what do you think? Like, who else should I talk to? She gave me a list, reached out to those people and just started having some like great conversations similar to like the executive ones you were having. And that snowballed because I was like killing it at work, telling my manager I wanted more work doing well at my extra responsibilities thing like doors just kept opening and I just volunteered for everything and created a little bit of chatter um internally and it was like it was that helped a lot too I guess
0: so so let's I would look, I'd love to focus on that kind of LDRAE. really <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because I, th- I always find it amazing that most organizations, you know, I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You know, the LDR, SDR, BDR role is, I think, one of the hardest roles in sales, because first of all, it's the, the lowest conversion ratio. So you get your yeah. ass kicked the most. And. As an LDR, SDR, you you usually have three or four AEs that you're that you're working with, right? And all of those AEs have different likes and dislikes. You know, some of them are like, "Hey, I qualified all the way through, so it's pretty much a layup." Others are like, "I don't give a shit; just give me a meeting with a janitor." Um, some are like, "Don't touch my executives; you know, go after anybody else." Some yeah. really work with their LDR and are like, "Yeah, you're great." Others are like, "Screw you; you're a piece yeah. of shit, the elite."
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, what, so how many, LD, how many AEs did you uh, originally work with?
1: So that's kind of crazy. So I was inbound velocity. So you're okay. calling white papers and anybody. Oh, that- okay. yep. So I had like soup to nuts inside and enterprise sales across all verticals. So wow. I had, I don't know, a hundred plus, plus to talk to. So it was really, really difficult. Um, I definitely had some, I would work with more, yeah. um, the way that the leads came in, it was so random. We did a round robin, so yeah. you never really know. Um, so you just try to over-communicate, you try to do a really good job, do your due diligence. I did work with an enterprise rep on the side, um, did a ton of stuff with with her. We had a great partnership, we got a lot done and she taught me a lot. So mm-hmm. kind of that naturally developed where it's like, I need practice in this area. I wanna get better at like this enterprise level and like understanding what's happening in these accounts. Um, but it was, it was hard, like, because you don't know, and people don't know you, you know, like, who are you? Who, why are you sending me stuff?
0: Well, I think that's why you said you gotta, you build the chatter by going above and beyond. Like, you know, I, I get a little frustrated with AEs who, who are, who are looking for that, uh, lead on the silver platter, if you will. Yeah. Um, But at the end of the day, if you're a LDR or BDR or whatever, in order to get to that level, unfortunately, you're going to have to force the scenario a little bit and do that uh, work to to put that person in a better position to be successful because then they'll start looking at you in a positive light and start to chatter around internally. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: Cool. Uh, Any suggestions you have? Well, actually, no, let's take it. Let me ask you this um, because it sounded like you've sought out a lot of people internally for advice and those type of things, what's your yeah. theory or approach to mentors versus sponsors versus like, how do you look at that? Cause I think a lot of people have a lot of different uh, approaches because yeah. I get approached all the time. Hey, John, will you, yeah. be mentor? And yeah. I, I personally think that's a dangerous thing. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how you approach it.
1: So I have a funny, a little bit of a funny story, but I'll, I'll start with, I don't think it's fair to ask for anything unless you've done your homework and you've done the work. It's like, if you want to come and ask me a, a serious like in-depth tactical question about something I know about, don't just ask something stupid. It's kind of like what you always say about, you know, don't ask me what my background is wow. like on the internet, do your homework. So I would try to reach out to people that I knew were good at like something specific, like, Uh, Brendan at work, you know, he's, he's known for being really good at some of the later sales cycle processes. So I I was super specific in my ask. I was like, will you go over this with me for 15 minutes? Just this. I mean, that's not really a mentorship or a In my opinion, Um, I was working with our VP of like pre sales for a little while, having conversations. He had kind of like taken me under his wing and was like, let's see what we can do to help you out here, but not a mentor. Like, he would check in on me and like give me homework assignments, like read this, email me after you've done this kind of thing um, to kind of keep me on track. But when I got to sales kickoff after I had that meeting with my manager, I was like, I need a mentor. And I went after, be glass. who's was like a little bit grumpy sometimes. And I was like, you were the one that did the best on all the, dem- the discovery calls and, de- and demos I sat in on, would you be my mentor? And it was a little scary because he isn't really like a mentor kind of guy. And he's like, you know what? I respect the crap out of that. You know, I'm humbled and honored to, to help you out. I don't have a lot of time. So tell me what you need and I'll do that. And we pretty much just had a, like a list six weeks And he's like, you're done. That's it. That's all you get. You're on your way. It's up to you now. So I think being really specific in your ask, um, and, and keeping it short, like, don't, don't be like, Hey, let's sit down for an hour. And then we're going to, it's like, can I have 15 minutes really specific? I need help with just this. And then I'm going to let you go on your way.
0: And I, and I think that's important for everybody to, to hear because uh, Again, I, you know, I travel all over the world. I do my thing. Right. And look, I want to help everybody I can, but sure. I, I get five to 10 requests, literally a week for kids saying, Hey, John, will you be my mentor? And I'm like, you know, that's a, first of all, that's a dangerous thing because I might not be the best person to guide you through your career. You might like what I say on social and you like my persona, but you might peel the layer back here and, and you find out that I'm a raging asshole. You know what I mean? And I might yeah. be giving you some advice. Like, you know, I'll give you an example. And, and this kind of transitions to something else I wanted to talk to you about. And it, it relates to sponsorships and stuff like that. But like the Grant Cardone's of the world. You know what I mean? Like some people look at Grant Cardone and I fucking hate him. But some people look at him and like, oh man, look at him. He's so successful. Be my mentor. If you were, I will tell you right now, if you, if you said to me, if you were interviewing me, right, for a job, or if, if I was interviewing you for a job and you told yeah. me that Grant Cardone was your hero and your mentor, I would end the interview right there and you wouldn't yeah. get the job because you are now tying yourself to somebody that might not be the best person. So I love right. what you're doing there is being super hyper specific with what you're asking for from people and making it easy for them to mentor you because I will take your time any day of the week. If you right. come to me and say, Hey, John, I've looked at your background. Here's what I'm looking at. Like yeah, I need some very specific help with this thing. Could you jump on the phone with me for 10 to 15 minutes? Yes. Yeah. Holy shit. I'll have that all day long. Yeah. But like the mentor thing is a, is a challenge for me because I just, I, that, that entails a lot of I am, I am coaching you and I'm working with you on a plan type of scenario.
1: You've and got if you to do to, some of that on your own. Got to. Right. Yeah.
0: And, and I think that, 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 So for you, and I shift a little bit gear here into the, into that, that, that we need to talk because I know that, you know, you see, you kind of mentioned that and you had saw that, um, as, as a pretty strong willed woman uh, in an organization who's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty obvious that you know what you want and you know how to get it, um, Do you look at it as like having sponsors in, it sounded like you had some people within the organization that you latched onto that really helped you navigate through. Mm -hmm. Um, And and from a woman's perspective, what, what advice would you give? I guess if you were on that webinar uh, of talking about women who sometimes, you know, Speaking out is a little bit, uh, you know, they're in a boys club, those type of things. So what's your advice on, on how to kind of navigate the, 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 the process as, as a woman, uh, in a male-dominated world here from a
1: (laughs) standpoint, Yeah. And I'm happy to talk about that. And it's something that definitely resonates, I mean, to my core. Um, so when I first started being a chef or when I was first pursuing that, I had to, do a ton of work on my own end but i also had to work with a lot of males and like reach out to males and the relationship eh, you know it can be good or it can be not so great um i worked in a f- french only speaking kitchen i was the only female in the place and like it's just so you were an
0: american in a french house <laughs> oh, shit yeah yeah <laughs> did you yeah. not speak french at least
1: no <laughs> holy shit no no they totally. would be like, they would be like regard and they would do it and then they're like and, <laughs> yeah it was rough it was really rough so sitting in a warm dry chair making cold calls after that wasn't so bad <laughs> i already i already take some i'd already gotten hit a, a few times you know what i mean yeah. um, navigating the waters as a, as a female especially if you're young especially if you're you know attractive in any in any way it doesn't yeah. matter if you're not you just have to be tough like you and and that's that's how it is like if if men are going to act like little boys then you kind of have to go into a role where it's like not taking that shit and we're not in that conversation and um you just got to be tough I guess you know you got to say what you think you got to stick to your moral compass and you can't take any junk
0: were you able to find some some male counterparts um, that were able to help you? Um, yeah, that, absolutely, like, like absolutely support, they got to help like support you. You know what I mean? Yeah, that kind of backed you up when you were because as a chef or, or there,
1: as in in this either, position, right? Either yeah. because like as yeah.
0: a woman, like I totally appreciate that. Hey, stand yes. up, you know, tell the guy to fuck off. But then there's the good old boys club that comes in and says, "Yeah, yeah sorry." So having a having a sponsor or somebody to support you in that is yeah. is Pretty, pretty
1: helpful, right? It was easier as a chef because you could say F off. Generally, I would be holding a knife and playing. Yeah, that that helps. (laughs) Nobody really, you know, you give somebody the eyeball or you like your your eyebrow and you're like, you really want to, you want to talk about that? Like as I'm holding like a frying pan and a knife. That was a very good point. (laughs) So, but in a corporate standpoint, um, you know, I've had a couple of instances and, you know, not naming any places or any names where you, you kind of have to do the same thing. You kind of have to raise your eyebrow, take a step back and be like, conversation you want to have? Yeah. Is this is where you want to go? And unfortunately, I found that being really aggressive, it nips it in the bud like that. You can't be like, oh, that was, yeah, it's flattering. Like I, pre- it's like, really? Is this really where we're going with this? And like any bully ever, I mean, I have never had a problem if I have taken that approach.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's like, you know, I, and I, I really don't want to get into politics. But what Nancy Pelosi is doing right now is fucking brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm hate not
1: following. That. Yeah, sorry. What's but she doing?
0: She's just she's now that she's in power right now that she took over the, the house, if you will. I mean, you're watching Donald. And again, I don't care one way or the other. I don't want to get into yeah. that. But yeah. you're watching him who is was who bullying his way through everything. And she's now standing up and saying, no. Like yeah. just not even negotiating, like absolutely no. not, right? And you, yeah. and you're literally watching him back off Yeah. and you can tell he respects her. Yeah. And the reason I know he respects her is because he, you know how he gives everybody names like, you know, Lion Ted or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, with her, he was like, you know, i was talking to Nancy the other day, you know, I call her and you're expecting a, a nickname to come out. And he goes, yeah. I call her Nancy. And it was like, yeah, yeah. What? So, so I think your point is nip it in the bud, hit nip em. it in
1: the bud, trust your instincts, yeah. If you even get a whiff of some other ulterior motive, just find somebody else. There's plenty of people, you know, and, but make sure you're contributing enough value where other, other people are accessible to you.
0: Love it. Cool. I, I know you, th- you threw a couple of questions in here. Did you want to yeah. kind of flip some over on me and, and and throw some out there? Cause I thought you had some yeah. good ones.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I'm a selfish one, I guess to will start with that. I'm in this spot now where I'm a farmer. So I basically work with our customers, trying to find solutions to upsell them or flip mm-hmm. to new software. Um, any, any familiarity in this space? Any, mm-hmm. do you, is this a familiar role? Uh, oh, yeah. like any, any little tips or advice there?
0: Absolutely. So, you know, so I, for me, I manage 30 or 40 accounts on a regular basis and I sell 30 or 40 accounts on, so I do both. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so, and with the existing accounts, you know, you have to know more about them, obviously, than new ones, right? Because otherwise, you know, you can't just come to them and say, "Hey, what's new?" You know, touching base and checking in type of shit. So, I actually, um, you know, I I do more research on my existing accounts than I do on my prospects to, to find out, really, you know, from a business strategy standpoint and those type of things, and almost ground up. So, there's this there's this trend going on right now in sales, which is design thinking. Um, they're, they're taking a design thinking and they're applying it to sales, which in design thinking for those of people who are listening, who don't know what it is, it's, you know, when Apple creates a product, right, they don't create a product in a vacuum and then bring it to market and say, here, we're smarter than you go use it. They watch how you work right? So they watch how you work, they, and, then, and they learn, and then they, that's why the iPad is so intuitive, right? Like my six-month-old daughter, when she, when she was six months, I got her an iPad, and she immediately picks the thing up and knew exactly what to do, right? yeah. So the same thing in sales. So let's go back to my experience at Xerox. I came into Xerox. I came into a territory that was burned to the ground. They had five reps in three years. It was the government's So like, so, and I thought, and all these other reps were getting into their territory sort of flipping boxes type of stuff. So I figured, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Right. So I started. And basically when I would go into these um, agencies, they'd basically tell me to piss off because there's going to be another one you in here six months. have No interest. And I was like, "Holy shit!" So I had to take a step back and really relationship repair a lot of those, mm-hmm. but ground up. So outbound with with the new accounts is top down, you know, research and hey, who can I talk to and whatever. I think actually account management or, or you know upsell cross sell stuff is a lot more bottom up. It's learning the business, uh, talking to the people on the ground floor about what their experiences are, understanding the workflow, because that's what I had to do with the copiers. I had to go in and understand how were they using the copiers, how, what, where did people have to walk to get to them, uh, you know, how much were they paying on click-through rates and all that other stuff. And I would literally map out their entire office on a, on a diagram and and then would come with a new plan. And I had to earn it to get to that level. And by, to your point of like creating a little bit of the groundswell, you did yeah. it internally with with like your brand. I would do that internally with my customers. So yeah. I would you know, so you'd hear like, holy shit. And I would add value along the way if I could help somebody else, you know, throughout the way I would do it um, because I was building that story to go up and bring something to the executives that I could teach them. And I, And I don't mean like, cause I'm the smart kid here because most executives at this level, they don't really have a ton of insight of what's going on on the ground floor. So if I can be that third party that brought them that insight and shared with them some ways to get you know to to address that, yeah. uh, you, you get a lot of you get a lot of leverage that way.
1: Cool, oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, you know, I saw your Instagram uh, feed. Like, hey, it's two AM, or I got in at two AM. I'm doing sales kickoff. What what motivates you, and what are you fr- afraid of? Like in the business sense, not the like not. Um,
0: I'll say, I I think it's, um, I'm not afraid of much. I'll tell you the one thing I am afraid of, um, is, uh, first of all, becoming irrelevant. You know what I mean? Like is, is, is getting too comfortable with being good. Uh, because as soon as you're comfortable with being good, somebody else comes comes past so you. That's why I'm constantly trying to evolve and trying to learn shit on my own. Like you know, even you know, no, like that's the beauty of sales. You can't ever you can't be perfect in sales. It's like golf. You can't shoot a zero, right? So yeah. I think you know, being relevant is is uh, is something. Um, I love failure because that's where I learn the most. Uh, the thing I'm most afraid of is <laughs> is to, to make sure, um, I, so. It it is a personal thing. It's it's, so it's, it's based on my daughter. Um, you know, I'm traveling all around the world. I'm working my ass off. I'm trying to support my family. Um, and I pray to God that I'm, I'm doing it for the right reasons in the sense that my, my fear, my, my God given fear is if it all ended tomorrow, would I look back and say, fuck, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. That's yes. so I know you talk about the work-life balance and working your ass off and making sure I try to do that. You know what I mean? We have great vacations. Yeah. Um, I'm home on the weekends. I'm with my, you know, my wife and daughter. But I, I, I you know, everybody uh, at the end of their life, what is their regrets? Right? Most people say they they don't regret what they did do. They usually regret what they didn't do. Right? Right. I'm never going to regret what I didn't do. You know what I mean? Because I'm going to do I'm everything.
1: Same. I'm, yeah. yeah
0: do Uh, my hope is is that uh, that I don't regret that you know looking back on it that I didn't I wasn't around more and I and I and I was and I had that balance not just for me like I don't give a fuck for me I could sleep three hours a day and still be fine um but that balance for my daughter to to make sure that because my happiness you know when she was born um there's a big shift right there in priorities, and now my happiness is dictated based on hers, yeah and so as long um, as she's happy um i you know I'll feel like I've been successful in my life that so then my biggest fear is her not growing up and being happy, and I don't mean suc- like success is determined right. she could be an artist, she could be broke, but as long as she's happy i'll I'll feel like fulfilled and and, and happy about that so
1: that's beautiful. Yeah.
0: That's my
1: fear. <laughs> do you think you could step back? Like, do you think if, you know, Morgan gets up to speed, you get three more Morgans, would you ever be happy being able to step back? I
0: don't
1: think so. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> just, I,
0: know. I don't think so I'm gonna wired. Find
1: a way, you're just going to find a way to incorpor- incorporate incorporate here. So Maybe. I think like, I
0: kind of follow a little bit of the Gary Vee, you know, I'm, what yeah. I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, as I get um, more and more, you know, as I grow more and more in my career, I'm trying to put more, structure in place to force the so for instance you know he i think he takes seven weeks of vacation a year so he doesn't and i because i asked him i went to his 4d session and that was my question gary how do you deal with the guilt of being away from your kid right and he's like fuck that he goes my, when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. When I'm not, I'm not. And they understand that. I'm like, that's easier said than done, man. You know what I mean? When your daughter's crying, when you're leaving, you know what I mean? When you're taking off on the plane, but I think oh. he does it by seven weeks a year. That's his thing. And he tells everybody to fuck off and like, leave me alone. And that's his downtime. So what I've tried to do is say, look, for instance, I'll only train on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. So, uh, so I'll travel on Mondays and Fridays, but I'm, I, I refuse to leave on a weekend. You yeah. know, and I come yeah. home on the weekend. um, last week of the month, uh, I will not travel. Right. So that's my parameters. And what I want to do is get that a little bit tighter. So it's like two weeks out of the month I'm training where two weeks I'm home and then eventually starts to So I'm on my journey to, yeah, to right. ratchet that back. But to your point, um, you know, retirement's a relative term here. Uh, I'm never, I, I don't, I, I'm just not wired to <laughs> sit back and chill and do nothing yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, even, even when I quote unquote hit retirement age at 65, I, I'll be bored out of my fucking mind if I don't have something to do. So my hope is, is that I've built my career up enough to that point where I can then do whatever I want to do, not because I have to do it, but because I want to do it right now. I do both, right? I, I do it because I have to, because I have to pay the bills. I'm not independently wealthy by any stretch at this point, um, but I also love what I do. I want to be able to wake up when she graduates high school, for instance, and just basically say, all right, we're financially independent. Now let's go work on whatever we want to work on type of scenario.
1: Yeah. You get into any of that um, financial independence, that fire community, you watch any of that stuff?
0: That, you know, know i do not really um you know I, I try to do my thing you know uh and kind of d- diversify and all that other stuff yeah. and put my money in the right places uh i probably could be doing a lot better with it i also like to spend a lot of money so but yeah, you gotta, know it's uh there's a balance there of like yeah, uh, you know i that's i mean that and that is one big thing i don't want to regret i don't want to save for retirement yeah. i think that's sad right it's like yeah. people Work their whole life so that they can "quote unquote" retire and then live their life. Yeah, you want to live your life at you. sixty. Like yeah. you, sh- me, like these are the prime years of my life. I ain't gonna look this good for that. But you know what? I mean? I'm not saying that.
1: <laughs> <like>, I'm not. <laughs> I get what you're me. saying like, why live for that? Why just like live for tomorrow? Like you're be present where you are now. Enjoy yeah. now. So many people are like, I'll be happy when I lose ten pounds. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when <sighs> I'm financially <eventually sighs> independent. It's like. You can be happy right now. Yeah. You can choose to be. It's
0: a choice. It is really a choice.
1: One big thing that did help me, though, was I had some, you know, I spent an obscene amount of money when I was in yacht, but I I did save some, you know, we had, I had a heck of a time, but I did save some and I had a nice chunk so that when I did want to take time off and figure it out, I could live off my savings. I could hire a career coach. I bought a car in cash. And I could just kind of sit and figure it out and make a really good choice for me because I mean it wasn't fu money, but yeah. it was, it was something like yeah. it was, it gave me a choice, and that's one big thing I would say to anybody young now: like just have five or six grand in the bank, just skip oh, yeah. all of those brushes, skip the champagne, yeah. whatever. Just yeah. like put it put it away, like have a little cushion because you will have so many more choices.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you got to put yourself in a position where, again, you can choose, right? Because if you're yeah. if you're in a situation where you don't have any savings and if you've been just kind of just doing that thing, and then all of a sudden the shit hits the fan, now you have to react and 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 you have to go get whatever's available. And a lot of times that isn't what is what you want to do,
1: right? Or What's best for you,
0: or what's best for yeah. you? So yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Exactly. Uh, we got one more. What do you? Yeah, uh, you one more question or did? Uh, bail here in a, in a couple of minutes but anything else
1: yeah no i i think i think that's it yeah fantastic thank you so much
0: yeah no thanks for coming on this was a this was a fun conversation and, it was um,
1: a lot of fun yeah, yeah
0: and i think um you know hopefully people get a lot out of this one and, and, and realize that you know it's funny people ask me you know john what's the secret to success right <laughs> it's a very simple answer it's just working your ass off right?
1: it really is Somebody, one of my buddies said it the other day, and he's like, "Man, getting up and going to work every day is the only hustle I know that works. It's right. the only game that works. You just got to do it, and you got to keep." No
0: shortcut. Like I tell, so I did, so go back to my daughter one more time. Like we uh, we get a scratch ticket, right? One of those like like thirty dollars scratch tickets, like the ones that nobody ever loses on, right? And yeah. we do it once a month. We do it once a month. And I let her scratch it, because I've been doing this for years, but I let her scratch it every time. And we never, never win, right? (laughs) And I tell her, and she now knows it, I go, Charlotte, what does that tell us? She's like, we have to earn everything that we got, right, Daddy? I'm like, that's exactly it. There ain't no free, like, we ain't lucky. Like, make your own luck by working. Absolutely. Right? I've never been good at gambling, even though I I have a little gambling problem. But uh, I've never been good at it because I'm just not lucky. You know what I mean? Like like fund and lucky in the fundamental sense. I am very fortunate to be born to parents that love me, to be born here in America, in the Northeast. You know what I mean? Like I am very fortunate and I do not discount that in any way, shape or form. But I get very annoyed when people call me lucky yeah. um, because I just fundamentally don't believe in that.
1: Yeah, so. it's it's the same thing, you know, being being in Tahiti or being in the French Alps and people are like, oh, I'm so jealous. It's like I had to scrub toilets to get here. You in the door. like i have a college education i scrubbed mm-hmm. toilet and dirty bed linens for six months yeah. nobody wants to talk about that when you're in your bathing suit in tahiti yeah, do yeah. Have- they
0: don't see yeah. that i mean i think that's the problem with social these days is yeah. everybody sees the cool shit they see the yacht they see the car but they don't yeah. see what it fucking took to get there um, so you know hopefully everybody out there realizes that uh, you know, it, it, this world ain't gonna give you shit unless you don't get it right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, awesome, Chrissy. Well, let's definitely Thanks, keep yeah. Let yeah know, absolutely. You know, moving Buy a
1: beer or gin and tonic or something.
0: Definitely, especially. And uh, are you a Pats fan?
1: I just don't care about it.
0: Ah, all right, good. All right, I just okay.
1: don't care. That's okay. <laughs> well,
0: you spend you spent enough time overseas where that probably kind of like faded yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, this is gonna be a fun weekend coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Cause I'm a well,
1: good luck, enjoy. Yeah, I'll keep <laughs> my fingers crossed for you, but yeah.
0: Awesome, Chris. thanks so much again, and uh, have a great day, and good luck with everything Thank else. All right?
1: Thanks yeah. so much, John. Bye bye. Yeah.